This is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman, KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Did you get your vaccine yet? Any side effects? If so, you're ready for another. CEOs of Pfizer and Moderna say a booster shot will be ready, probably needed within months. But there are doctors out there who question that timeline. California officials considered relaxing COVID restrictions at work, but blowback from businesses change their minds. Many businesses across the country deciding how to handle things now that the CDC changed those mask requirements. People are flying more now than they have in the past year, and airlines are rebounding from a really rough 2020 because of it. We start, though, with booster shots. Ready or not, they might be here this fall. Dr. Paul Sachs, clinical director of the Infectious Disease Clinic at Brigham and Women's Hospital, also professor of medicine, Harvard Medical School. So, doctor, does this mean everybody getting vaccinated now will need another shot in September? Because that's what the CEOs have said. They'll be ready by September. Well, not necessarily. And while I'm glad that they are preparing booster shots, we don't yet know how long the protection will last from these these COVID vaccines. Both both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, as you know, are extremely effective. And there are some models about how long that protection will last, but we actually don't know. There have been some estimates that you start to lose protection at around 250 days, but other estimates that it might be much longer than that and might depend on the host, meaning the how healthy the person is, and it might depend on the variant. So really lots of unknowns. And so I think just uh, just stay tuned rather than make a conclusion or make an appointment to get a booster. Well, I guess we can feel ready or feel better that uh, having it ready by September is a good thing for those who may need it by September. But yeah, a couple ways to look at it, right? Maybe it's the very early crop of people. Let's say it lasts a year. And if I was in the trial, then maybe I got mine in September or October or November. So then I would need it because that's been a year. Or on the other hand, like you said, maybe it's the person. So maybe into the fall or start of winter, that's for people who are elderly or at high risk if they need theirs. And then maybe younger people wait even longer or not have to get it for an even greater interval. Yeah, you mentioned several several possible strategies, and I agree. Um, probably it, it will not be a one-size-fits-all. Uh, I do want to emphasize there's a group of people for whom we know the vaccine's probably don't protect as well. Those are people whose immune systems are weakened by taking medications or getting cancer chemotherapy or having transplants. And it would not surprise me if we have actually some recommendations for boosters for that group before we have for the larger group population overall. Um, I I will also say that, that importantly, the models that I've mentioned measure something called neutralizing antibody. And we have a a very complex immune system. Neutralizing antibody is just one part of it. There's also cellular immunity, and we actually can't measure that very well in in routine blood samples. So it's possible that we'll be protected even longer than the uh, model suggests. So so let me now uh, introduce a note of cynicism, uh, (laughs) which I tend to be fond of doing. Uh, Because it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, I mean, look, uh, at some level, and not to take anything away from all these companies, Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson, they all did a really great job at producing vaccines that are uh, clearly very uh, effective. Uh, But it also is big business, right? Mm -hmm. And it is in the interests of pharmaceutical companies, is it not? to get people sort of geared up to wanting to take one of their shots sooner than later because, you know, it's more money in the register. Well, that's why we have uh, the ACIP and the CDC and those those people who are on the vaccine advisory boards really look at the data carefully. And I think one of, one of the things we do best in the United States is review vaccine 
safety and effectiveness. Uh, it's, you know, in fact, I have colleagues who are from Europe and they're very jealous of our uh, review of vaccine safety and efficacy. So it will be up to these advisory committees to take a look at the data and make the decision about when boosters are required and for whom. Um, we all think about the flu vaccine as, you know, because it's an annual event that, that this may be an annual thing for us as well. But there are some other vaccines that we get every five years or every 10 years. People probably familiar with their tetanus booster. That's every 10 years. So it may not be necessary to get it every year. We'll just have to have to wait and see. But your cynicism, I, I understand it. But I don't think that the companies are ultimately going to be making the decision. At least I hope not. Dr. Paul Sachs, Clinical Director, Infectious Disease Clinic, Brigham and Women's Hospital, Professor of Medicine, Harvard Medical School. I like when someone comes on the show and says, don't worry about it yet. Right. Put it off till later. Because we like to put things off. That's right. <laughs> right. It's easier that way. California regulators discussed whether to ease COVID rules at work, but they decided uh, that they're not ready to remove social distancing, mask, and other requirements. There was pushback from businesses about uh, who was vaccinated, who wasn't, how they'd check. Candace Tsai is a professor of environmental health, industrial hygiene at UCLA. We asked her just before the regulators decided to postpone if this sounds like something that uh, could be a mess if the restrictions are relaxed now with some people masking, some people not, some vaccinated, some not. Yeah, well, that's a good question. Yes, um, I, I do believe that's confused a lot of people, especially employees in the workplaces. Um, so, but I also understand that we all want the business to reopen. Um, so I think the, this guidance need to come up with more spe- specific uh, detail to guide employees and employers to follow. So I think it's probably not a good idea to jump from one end to the other end. Uh, just suddenly say that everyone doesn't need to wear a mask if you are fully vaccinated. Uh, so probably need to come up more detail about how do they do that step by step. And also I think this is, depends on the different uh, workplaces. Some workplaces might need to continue some um, masking our employees for a little bit of while to watch how the situation um, goes. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. So any any other questions that you would like to me to comment more on this? Yeah. Do, do you think it's going to hinge on, on proof of vaccination and that you would have to show it? I mean, employers can ask and you can say, yes, I got my vaccine, but maybe someone doesn't tell the truth. I mean, do you think that the bosses are going to have to go around and say, no, you got to show me your little card. So then I know if I'm opening up my my you know shared space without masks that we know that everybody's covered here. Well, yeah, definitely. Well, it will be required. It has to be required, you know, to show their their vaccination card. Uh, so it had to put it in the system. So they have official record to show this person is really fully vaccinated. Uh, even though we trust people, you know, we try to run this kind of trust system. However, we need to protect some other people who might be who might be high risk people. So even though people are fully vaccinated, it's not 100% uh, guarantee it will have a protection, especially some employees might be the high risk population. Uh, so the employer will have the responsibility to protect those people who are in the high risk population. You know, when the, um, when the CDC, as you know, comes out with recommendations, for example, on uh, dif- different age groups early on to get vaccinated, the CDC uh, recommendations are recommendations. And 
states can do what they want to do, uh, by and large. I- I'm wondering how it works with Cal-OSHA. So they're meeting, as we said at the outset, to uh, come up with new regulations. But are these binding, or can private businesses pretty much do what they want to do and just use Cal-OSHA as, as guidance? Yeah, that's right. And also, another point mentioned that the CDC and OSHA, they, they take care of a different uh, population. So OSHA, OSHA take care more on the uh, work site. And so, but the CDC is not just focused on the work site, work, focus on the general population. But think about in the, in the work environment, it might have some specific situation, the ventilation is very poor. And a worker might might be working uh, a not a very good environment, and if there's a no mask, uh, some worker might not be really protected in an environment which has some uncertainty about the potential uh, exposure to the virus. When the, there's there's no good control on those employees based on their health condition and the, the, the virus status. Candace Sai, Professor of Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, UCLA Center for Occupational and Environmental Health. Candace, thanks. Businesses in other parts of the country are figuring out how to keep the workplace safe from COVID after the CDC loosened its recommendations. Should they revise mask policies? Brian Weinthal, employment attorney in Chicago with WBBM's Cisco Cotto. I'm recommending to my clients that employers should not relax their current safety protocols in light of the latest guidance. What we know is less than 40% of this country is fully vaccinated right now, and that there is also a remarkably consistent 20% that are refusing to take the vaccine under any circumstances. The data suggests that this same anti-vax crowd is less likely and was less likely to put masks on even before the CDC issued its newest recommendations. So the problem for employers is that the highest risk factor for continued COVID transmission is probably soon going to be returning to the office, which places all other employees at risk. And yet you have this sort of difficulty with some employees who say, hey, I did what I was supposed to do. I got my vaccine. Now I want to come back. I don't want to have to wear a mask or or be distanced. And so there's going to be tension that employers have to navigate. Significant tension. And in fact, uprising is the term that many of my employer clients are using at the moment. But here's the problem. We know that the vaccine, while a scientific miracle, does not prevent individuals from necessarily contracting COVID-19. And at the same time, we know that there are any number of employees who can't get the vaccine due to other immunocompromising conditions, be it other illness, chemotherapy, what have you. So the problem is that employers need to consider the risks to those latter groups before they issue a charge back into a maskless world. Yeah, really good insight. Thanks so much. It is very difficult to navigate for employers and employees, too. Brian Weinthal, employment attorney with Burke, Warren, McKay and Saratella. Coming up after this short break, will vaccines save airlines this year? We know airlines have been hit hard by the pandemic. They couldn't make money because hardly anyone was flying for a while, but things have now changed. Yeah, people go in places, especially those who are vaccinated. Demand should pick up this summer. Are the airlines ready? Benjamin Altshuler, professor at the School of Sports, Tourism, Hospitality Management at Temple. He talks to KYW's Matt Leon. Obviously, when this thing first started, there had to be major changes just really to get people comfortable with flying. We saw a lot of those airlines, most airlines in a sense, 
only having two people, you know, per row. So that middle seat remained empty. And I think that was that was something that had to be done because I, I think not only from a health perspective, but I think from a psychological perspective, people just didn't want to be around as you know, close to people, that whole social distancing thing. So I think that was an important thing that airlines did. But let's face it, if airlines are not filling up their, uh, you know, completely filling up their air, um, their planes, there's a financial hit to that. So a lot of airlines kept that in place as long as possible, but then obviously had to move to trying to fill up their their planes to ensure that they were at least making some sort of money because. You know, the numbers weren't good. I, I was just kind of going back just to kind of refresh my memory of what we're talking about in, in terms of not being, you know, of, of really negative numbers. And, you know, when the, when we really got into the pandemic, you know, um, middle of March, end of March into April, you know, April, May, June, July of uh, 2020, I mean, we were talking about only 90,000, 100,000 people traveling a day uh, in the United States via airlines. And if you look at that compared to 2019, I mean, that was a drop off of 2 million people per day. So, I mean, that's a pretty incredible thing to consider. So airlines have really had to take that into account. You know, I think the other thing that airlines have really had to consider is thinking about their schedules and the routes they're flying. Because, you know, like any industry, airlines have to make predictions a year out and determine what their schedule, not their schedules, but their flight plans and flight routes look like a year out prior to, you know, a season. So, a lot of airlines have had to consider where where do people want to go? Where do they want to fly? Um, interesting news that just came out is that um, uh, European, uh, the European Union is going to allow vaccinated people with, you know, um, in a sense, the officially recognized vaccines to travel into parts of Europe. That's a, that's great. I'm really happy to see that. But again, for a lot of airlines, this is it's hard to accommodate that because they were making predictions based upon a year ago. So I think what we've seen is that airlines have done what they can do to kind of mitigate the financial impacts. But again, everything is about a prediction a year out. And who could have predicted that we'd see the success of these vaccines last July? I mean, it seemed like, you know, this was going to go on forever. So airlines have really had to consider those sorts of things. They've had to consider, you know, putting people back in the middle um, seat, which I think there's a psychological thing to that. But I, I do think we're overcoming that, especially as the vaccine um, rate ramps up. So I think airlines are getting back to a good place. If you look at the numbers right now, um, over the past, let's say, two or three weeks, you know, um, end of April, leading into May, we're getting back to a million and a half, 1.6, 1.7 million people traveling per day. Now, again, that's great especially compared to last year. But again, that's still almost 500,000 to a million people off on average compared to 2019 when, you know, these airlines are just crushing it. Do you think there's a, have the airlines lost a segment of the population forever? Maybe through no fault of their own, but just people that just aren't ever going to feel comfortable again in a closed space like that, even vaccinated, even post pandemic. I mean, the mind's a powerful tool. I 100% agree, Matt. You know, I think airlines are going to have to earn back a lot of people's faith. Now, let's, you know, I'm traveling in a month um, and I feel relatively comfortable about it. But I think airlines are going to have to continue to really focus on cleanliness and, and, the, and these mask mandates. I mean, I think if you want people back on planes, like you said, the mind is a powerful instrument. People have to overcome these psychological issues. And um, even myself, you know, I feel pretty good getting on a plane. I'm still kind of like, eh, what, what's going on here? So 
I would say this. I don't think airlines have lost. I mean, listen, I think there's some people who are probably never going to go feel comfortable going inside any contained places. But if you look at how the numbers have gone up, um, even over the past five or six months, people want to travel. And I think they can be they can be brought back. But, you know, airlines are going to have to continually focus on that psychological issue, the cleanliness, the masking. And I think if that can be demonstrated, I think the numbers will get back up there. But like everything else we found from this pandemic, you can't just switch back on the economy. It seemed easy to shut it down, but you can't just switch it back on and get people um, uh, feeling confident about themselves. So it's going to be a slog. But listen, we're there's 75 percent, you know, 60, 75 percent of the way there. So I think that's 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 good. That's a good sign. Are you surprised we didn't lose an airline through all this financially? I mean, you talk about that. You're talking 95 percent drop. And yeah. You know, are you surprised that we're, we're at the same place we were in 2019? I think when 20 when this pandemic hit, um, I think I would have been very surprised if you asked me this question. I mean, maybe you did ask me this question a year ago. I, I would be very surprised. But, you know, I think our government realized the importance of airlines, that they need to be, you know, they, they provide kind of lifeblood to this country in, in many ways as far as leisure travel and business travel. So, you know, our government at times, um, maybe we wish it moved faster with certain things, but I think they, they did step in and they did the right thing and supported these these key industries. Because, again, it's not just leisure travel or business travel, but it's the transportation of other things as well that is highly reliant upon our airlines. And again, I think airlines were smart. You know, they understood we can furlough people and do things like that with the with the intention that the minute things get better, we can bring you back. So I think there was everyone was pretty smart about this. But yes, in the beginning, I'm very surprised we we didn't see one of these airlines crash out. But as you think about the past year, maybe it's people were really smart. And maybe I'm not thinking back now. I'm like, I'm not that surprised that um, that we didn't see one of these airlines kind of crash out or anything like that. Remember when we talked about uh, Ohio offering a chance to win a million dollars if people got vaccinated, they would be entered in a Vax a million lottery and five people would win one million dollars each. So is it working? Well, the state says 113,000 people got their first dose days after the announcement. There was a 53% increase of people getting their first dose from May 13th to the 18th (laughs) compared to the week before. It works. Yeah, it worked. The first of five drawings for the lottery will be on the 26th of May. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.